0: In the midst of this global crisis, the voices for justice are revealing what really matters. It is time for Planetary Makeover. Here we feature solutions and modern miracles in documentary videos that offer hope for our future and remind us all of our spiritual source. Long ago it was forecast that at this time in history, extraordinary teachers including the World Teacher would emerge to help us as we build a world that works for everyone. Now, here's your host of Planetary Makeover, Mr. David Minot.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Planetary Makeover. We have a wonderful show in store for you and some really good news. Amidst all these global crises, we will be featuring death and rebirth. I'm presenting Dick Larson's interview with an ordained minister, McNair Ezard, both of whom are longtime students of the Ageless Wisdom teaching and Cher International volunteers. And this is on the topic of life after death. It's always been one of mankind's greatest mysteries. And our current culture's obsession with youth is a leading indicator of mankind's neuroses around a subject that is really just a part of life. Now, as always, we here at Planetary Makeover are not here to convince you of anything. All we ask is that you consider, with a truly open mind, to consider that the creation of a new civilization and world of justice and equality and peace and synthesis and love is possible the best of the old coupled with the best of the new and to perform this seemingly miraculous task we assert and demonstrate that humanity is not alone we have help of an extraordinary kind which will inspire us to transform the seemingly impossible into reality and Who is this company that will help us out? Well, we'll be accompanied by the world teacher for all humanity, who is a spiritual teacher in the broadest sense, not a a religious figure per se. But this figure has been predicted by all the major religions over a couple thousand years. For example, for the Christians, it would be the Christ. For the Jews, it's the Messiah. For the Muslims, it's the Imam Mati. For the Hindus, it's the Kalki Avatar. And for the Buddhists, it's Maitreya. Yep, the Buddhists got the name right. Of course, Maitreya and his group that he's come into the world with, the Masters of Wisdom, are non-denominational. They're not Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, or any other religion, but they have had a part in all of them over thousands of years and more, and now they've come back to the world as non-denominational spiritual teachers to assist all of humanity, everyone, from the most fervent fundamentalists to the atheists and the agnostics. And the masters and Maitreya don't need or want you to believe in them, And they're not looking for followers. So in case you were wondering if this had any religious or fanatical or cultish overtones, the answer is no. And since they're here for everyone, they belong to the people. They're not beholden to religious, governmental or philosophical institutions and it's considered the most important event in mankind's history, the emergence of Maitreya and his group, the Masters of Wisdom, working openly in the world with humanity for the first time in 100,000 years. Now, as I've said, Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom love all unconditionally. So that is not an issue. And going beyond that, Maitreya is an avatar who is wielding energies in combinations that have never been demonstrated on this planet before. This is in part because he is in turn overshadowed by even greater avatars, the avatar of peace and equilibrium, of synthesis, and of a third energy for which we as yet have no name. You might think of it as unstoppable will. Ponder on that as the master DK was fond of saying. Now the masters, along with Maitreya, are helping humanity and the planet enter the age of Aquarius. Now this is not some new age idea, and not just an astrological fact, but an astronomical fact. The planet has been oriented towards the constellation of Pisces for the past 2000 years, and now, It's coming into alignment with the constellation of aquarius but in astrology each sign has a two-word moniker for pisces it's i believe for aquarius it's i know so we're going from the age of beliefs to the age of knowledge and this is why people need proof they can't just take it on blind faith and these ages too are not brief. You remember the song from the 60s, the age of Aquarius from the musical hair? Well, that was, if you recall, the dawning of the age of Aquarius in that song. That was the lyric. And these ages, as I said, last approximately 2,000 years. So Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom will be with us for about the next 2,150 years. So you'll be seeing them lifetime after lifetime, and reincarnation is part of the subject of this talk and of the video. Now, writings about Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom, as well as the ones that they wrote themselves, are meant to stimulate our minds and our intuition, but in a way that doesn't interfere with our free will, which is Sankrasanth to the Masters. Now, some of these authors, starting in the late 19th century, about 1875, would be Madame Blavatsky, think of the Theosophical Society, Helena Roderick, heading into the early 20th century, and then Alice Bailey, from the early to the mid 20th century, and then Benjamin Krem, starting in the 1970s, going all the way up into the 21st century. Ben only left us five years ago in 2016. Now, as I said, we'll be featuring a video, which is Dick Larson interviewing McNair Ezzard entitled Death and Rebirth, whose primary topic is life after death. And as I said before, it's too bad we're not recording this while the moon is in Scorpio, which is the sign of death and regeneration. But perhaps some of you watching this later on will be doing that during a moon or sun in Scorpio phase. And today, as we grapple with such issues as COVID-19, this, and this the subject of death and dying and rebirth and regeneration and reincarnation, these all take on an added poignancy. Now, after the video plays, I will have a little Q&A with you since we can't speak with you directly and we'll talk a little bit more about this subject from the perspective of Benjamin Krem and his readers who wrote in to him and who attended conferences in person where they asked many of these questions, some of which I will read to you. And so, with that, let's go on to the video.
2: Hi, I'm Dick Larson and welcome to the show. My guest today is Reverend McNair Ezard. Um, Reverend Ezard uh, is a an ordained Methodist minister, and he's also uh, the administrator of a nursing home facility, as well as a longtime student of the Ageless Wisdom. So, welcome to the show,
0: McNair. Thanks, Dick. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Good to have you here, McNair. Um, Many of us got our ideas about what happens to us when we die and after we die, um, growing up in an organized religion such as I'm sure you did and I did as well, and so we've developed our belief system about what happens after death, um, largely based on that, at least um, going into adulthood. What do you think
0: happens to us when we die? I think it's a lot different than what we've been led to believe and what we've been taught in the, in, within the confines of the Church. To me, we are souls in incarnation and that we're on a journey, a journey from a low level of consciousness, if you will, to experiencing a much higher level of consciousness or what some people would call experience of God. And it takes a long time to make that journey. But through that journey, we leave and we come back frequently to this earth to learn lessons and it's it's a never-ending process when we leave this body we're still alive still experiencing so life goes on now that sounds a little bit different than the traditional
2: christian ideas about what happens when we die um what is your take on on those beliefs
0: well it is quite different and if this was four or five hundred years ago it would probably be branded anathema and tarred and feathered or burned at the stake because it does, this idea does go against a lot of what the church teaches about um, the afterlife and what happens. The church has done a lot of good giving people a framework to live their lives in, um, taught people how to live in peace, hopefully, and to learn how to love and to share and to serve each other. But I think it's really mistaken, missed the ball on the idea of what happens after we we die. I don't believe that we die and we're judged by a vengeful God as we're taught. I don't believe that when we die, if we've lived a bad life, that we immediately go to a place called hell Mm -hmm. and spend the rest of eternity there. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen like that. And I think as humanity's ability to think things through and science has become more prominent and proving um, the existence of unseen levels of matter and existence in the world, that people are starting to question this old idea of what happens after we die that the Church has presented to us. So I think they've gotten it wrong, basically. Well. As I understand
2: it, the Church's idea is that we have one life, and that when we die, that's pretty much the end. That we are a soul, the soul is eternal, but that that's the end of it um, it, when we die. And you uh, had the, well, first of all, before I go to that, I, I just want to say that it sounds like you're saying we come back again.
0: We do, repeatedly. Thousands okay. of lifetimes okay. have. So that's we had. quite different than the church says. Yeah, yeah.
2: you had the uh, good fortune to in, to interview Dr. Raymond Moody, who is the well known author and researcher into near death experiences.
0: I did. That must have been fascinating. What is a near death experience exactly? A near death experience is where someone is pronounced clinically dead, and within a few minutes or so, they come back to life their heart stops, brain functions stop, and they're pronounced dead, but then they end up coming back to life. And they are able to tell to those of, uh, people around them, their loved ones, doctors, of experiences they had when they were dead, out of the body.
2: Okay, so what are some of those typical experiences that you
0: heard when you were interviewing Dr. Moody? It's it's a wonderful subject, it's so fascinating. He himself is a, is a wonderful guy. Um, some of those characteristics of that experience are a person finds themselves in another body outside of this body. They might be floating above the body, say if they're in the hospital or something or in a bed, mm-hmm. and they're looking down at themselves. Okay. They can see the people that are around their body below them. They can hear them talking. They see a tunnel. They start to go down that tunnel at the end of that tunnel they see a light and they quickly, very quickly, come into that light. They come through the tunnel and enter into that light and as they do, they see their friends and families, people that have died before them, who are waiting for them to greet them and they're greeted by them. And this light takes on an individual loving presence about it. And the next thing that happens is this loving presence stands with that person, if you will, Mm -hmm. and a life review takes place where they see everything on one big screen that has happened to them, everything they've done or said that's affected them and affected other people. After that's over, they are told or they're given the choice of either, you know, staying or going back to their body. Um, sometimes they're told that they need to go back to their body. Quite often people want to stay because they experience no pain if they've been having a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. They experience a newfound freedom from their body that they haven't experienced. Um, but they obviously, they make a choice to come back to the body and then they find themselves back back in the body, um, fully aware as they were before they were pronounced dead. It's interesting
2: that you said that one of the common experiences is that they review their life's experiences and the um, effects that their actions have had on others. Um, Are they judged? Do they do they report feeling regret and remorse about things and and
0: criticized or judged about that or or no not at all not at all that's the thing about it is when they enter that light It's just like you're you're swimming in a sea of love and compassion and understanding And you yourself are really your own judge as you look at those experiences that you've had in your life Mm -hmm. you see the ramifications of things you've said you see the ramifications of things you've done to people. Good and bad. Good and bad. bad. Okay. And not only do you see the effect that it's had on that immediate person, but if you could take as an example, as you throw a rock into a pond right. and you see ripples rippling towards the shore, mm-hmm. that's what happens when you, when you say something to someone, say it's a negative comment, right. that has effects beyond that person. And you see the effects that that has had on other people and other situations in your life. And the fascinating thing about this also is that quite often what we take to be, have, have been our major accomplishments in life we see aren't really that significant. And the smaller things that we've done or said to help somebody or mm-hmm. speak a kind word to someone, mm-hmm. those things stand out more prominently when we're doing that life review. Yeah. But there's no sense of judgment. There's a sense of try- of understanding about what we've been through, what we've done, where we've learned, um, have we learned to love, That's the basic message. Have we learned to love? And that's what the review is about. How have we learned to love? Have we accomplished that purpose by being in existence?
2: People that are interested in reading about this can pick up books by Dr. Raymond Moody, right? Yeah. His first
0: book was called Life After Life, and he's written a number of books since then.
2: Okay. They could also pick up a book called Embraced by the Light, written by Betty Mm -hmm. Eadie, E-A-D-I-E. And... um, in there, she relates many similar experiences and also talks about the ripple effect and seeing, for example, that if she helped somebody, then they went home, they were in a good mood and they were kind to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that made that person feel good in this, in it just kind of like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Same thing with negative comments or mm-hmm. negative reactions and uh, very descriptive and very, very interesting. Yeah. That is said to be the most detailed lengthy uh, near-death experience ever recorded is Betty Eady's mm. book mm. and um, it is it's a fascinating book mm. and I would encourage people to mm. to check that out as well okay. but let me ask you as you were talking to dr. Moody how common did he say these experiences were these near-death
0: said experiences? back in the 1980s um of course, he's he's interviewed thousands and thousands of people over the years that have had these experiences. Wow. Some scientists did a study and based on the number of people that they had interviewed and projected that into the larger population, it was millions of people who they estimated had probably had that experience, I think something like seven or eight million. And as it's as that experience has, be- has become more talked about in our society, people aren't labeled weird or crazy when they talk to their family and friends about it. Mm-hmm. More people are speaking about these experiences Yeah, as we've gone along. I, I remember it took Betty
2: Eady something like years and years for her family and friends yeah. to finally convince her to write a book because she was afraid it would be a waste of time. Everyone mm-hmm. would just laugh at her. And of course it wasn't. It was a bestseller for like nine months. Yeah. You know, and people weren't laughing at all. So you're right. People have a, a real keen interest in, in this. Um, The people that, you said that commonly they're given a choice. You can come back or you can stay. Of course, he can only interview the people who chose to come back. Um, When they come back, do they come back with any lessons that they've learned or anything like that that they can share?
0: They do, indeed. Um, And some people, when they come back, they may not remember everything that happened during the experience. And certainly a lot of people are pronounced dead and come back and don't remember even any experience at okay. all but the lesson that people have is that love matters that we're here for a purpose i mean people that have committed tried to commit suicide when they come back there's almost no instance of them trying to repeat their suicide is attempt that right? after that because they see that there's purpose to life <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that love matters and that there is a reason that they're here there, he tells a story of one minister a fundamentalist minister who died and had a near-death experience, and during that life review part of it, he saw himself at a pulpit preaching fire and brimstone, which he had done all his life, and suddenly he found himself, he saw this little boy in the congregation, which he had no relationship to, but he found himself in the aware, the awareness of that little boy, yes. and he saw the fear felt the fear that that little boy had because of what he was preaching to the congregation Mm -hmm. and after he saw that this presence that was with him who he called jesus the presence said not in a condemning way or a judging way but it said i don't guess you'll be preaching like that anymore will you and he when he came back to life to the body he told people he said the most magnificent thing was i've realized that god doesn't care about my theology (laughs) But but that it was love and how we care for one another and how we demonstrate that in our lives day to day That was the most important thing people that have have died tend to have a strong spiritual Urge to know more and to study and to grow spiritually after they come back
2: So they do come back with a little different point of view Mm -hmm. then don't they yes indeed yeah, and
0: no fear of death I know a lay a friend of mine who, she's in her 70s now, and when she was in her 20s, she had a near-death experience. She was pronounced dead. She remembers floating above her body in the hospital, and the doctor saying she's gone, and she was saying, I'm not gone, I'm not gone, you know. Mm-hmm. But she said ever since, when, she, and then when she came back into the body, she has never had a fear of death at, since then. Because to these people that have had this experience, yeah. they know that life continues. They may or may not know that they come back, or what happens further on after they're dead longer, but it gives them that strong sense that there is a continuity to existence. I was going to
2: ask you, do any of them report any kind of awareness that they've had previous lives or that they'll come back for any more
0: lives? Raymond Moody has said that it doesn't really prove or disprove it. The people that have commented on that felt like they weren't quite far enough along in the process to know whether it was true or not okay but they do they do strongly believe that there's a a continuity of life but whether or not they come back the near-death experience itself is not according to him proof or not of that that it's true
2: yeah now i know that you're a longtime student of the ageless wisdom and i am too Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that included in the ageless wisdom philosophy or view of life and the universe is the idea of rebirth, the idea that that when we die that our spirit takes on different bodies and keeps coming back as we continue to learn the lessons that this planet Earth, mm-hmm. um, our home, has to teach us mm-hmm. and that each time we pick up where we left off and continue to grow until we don't need bodies and don't have any any more lessons to learn um, which I have a hard time imagining myself mm-hmm. <laughs> but but that idea of rebirth in the east they call it reincarnation uh, is not very popular
0: among christians Mm -hmm. why do you have any idea why that is well early in the history of christianity reincarnation rebirth is it was it's thought that it was really widely discussed and pondered upon by people of the faith that it wasn't you know so far-fetched to people in fact there's instances which people point to in the New Testament of Jesus talking about the idea of reincarnation. But in the sixth century, the emperor Justinius, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had the teachings of a, a theologian back then, his name was Origen,
2: mm-hmm.
0: had his teachings branded anathema, and, and some think that it was because he was trying to consolidate the Roman Empire again and get people living together and he couldn't have all these divergent types of philosophies going on and he wanted to ma- bring people around the flagpole of one religion and not have all this things that would make it harder to people to work and live together mm-hmm. and so the teachings of origin were branded anathema but it was funny that at that at that meeting when they did that all these bishops that he had there the Pope wasn't even there these were all Friends, or what you will, or bishops of the Emperor Justinius. So the teaching was expunged from from the Christian faith starting back then, but people tended to believe it off and on. But I think why people have such a hard time with it today is because it goes against everything that we've been taught in terms of judgment, the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, the vicarious atonement. I mean, what does it say about it? Vi- about our sins being forgiven and us going to hell if there's reincarnation what does jesus's death on the cross mean and people don't want to deal with uh, the ramifications of that because it brings into question so much of the christian teaching so people people don't like the idea of that being wrong what Mm -hmm. they've been taught Mm -hmm. the church wants power over people and if people have many lives to get it right and to become better people then what do they need the church for Mm -hmm. Um, and also people don't like the idea of having to come back and going through the same sorrows the same pains that they've had to go through in this life they like the idea of well this is just one life it's painful but once i'm gone i'm out of here i'm through the pearly gates and that's where i'm going to be for all time
2: yeah Um, you know it is it is strange because there's there's one scene in the new testament of the christian bible where the disciples ask jesus straight up they say is john the baptist elias returned and he says yes Mm -hmm. he doesn't say what a stupid question Mm -hmm. why would you even you know Mm -hmm. he just says yes a real simple answer and and you do get the feeling that that it was probably understood at the time um
0: yeah there's another there's another saying in there too where they they're asking jesus about a blind man and they say um why is this man blind did he sin or did his parents sin which to many people it was just common knowledge that people believed in reincarnation during that time he couldn't have
2: possibly sinned mm-hmm. to cause himself to be born blind right. unless it was in a previous lifetime right. yeah. and what a
0: lot of people don't know is Jesus was a member or really close to the Essene community in the, of that time and the Essenes believed in the coming back of the soul to mm-hmm. the body yeah. over time where
2: does where does that well I was going to say where where does that take us with the crucifixion and what does all
0: that mean um, Can you get, do you have a short answer <laughs> Well, it all has it's all tied up with that idea of salvation. There's no way that according to the ageless wisdom teachings that all of the sins that we commit, ever how a person may define sin, mm-hmm. that someone can take take those sins away for us. We created our world, that we each individually live in. Mm-hmm. We've cre- created the sins that we, we've committed the sins that we have, and we have to pay for it ourselves. Jesus dying on the cross doesn't nullify the fact that we have to come back and make right all the wrongs that we've then created. what was it all about? Jesus was a great teacher, a spiritual teacher, a son of God, but we're all sons and daughters of God. He died on the cross to show us the way back to God in the sense that we all have to go through these different levels of awareness. We have to go through all these different steps of initiation to perfection, which he w- he demonstrated on the physical plane. That dying on the cross was symbolic of the crucifixion initiation, where we totally renounce everything of this world for the good of the Spirit to go on to God, basically. So, it um, salvation... We create we travel the path of salvation, as we step onto the spiritual path, that path of salvation opens before us. But we can make it long or short. We all have free will. But um, it makes it harder in a way because we have to do the work now. We yes. can't rest back on the fact that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. We have to do the work and make it better. So
2: he died to
0: show us the way. He died to show us
2: the way. To show us what we have to give up. Yeah. Which is our interest in, in, in everything the world. earthly, including I mean, our physical bodies. I mean, we think yeah. that we're all, all, all the things of this world. It seems but we're to not. me he also died to demonstrate that we come back, because he did come back, that we live after death, mm-hmm. because he did come back. You know, and he see did come him. back, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which takes us back to rebirth. And, and I'm wondering do you think that, that there will ever come a point where rebirth is proven, where,
0: where we know
2: that it, it's mm-hmm. true?
0: I think it will. We're about to come into a time when some great spiritual teachers are going to be living out amongst humanity. According to the Ageless Wisdom teachings and British author, Benjamin Krim, there's a great teacher in the world and has been for a number of years now. His name is Maitreya, and he's the world teacher. He's not a religious leader per se, but he's a great spiritual teacher who has come back to Earth to humanity to teach us who we are as children of god and to show us the way forward into the kingdom of god but not only is he here but a group of his disciples called the masters of wisdom this group of spiritual teachers will be with us for a long time into the future and very soon within the next hundred years or maybe even less humanity will be shown the fact of our divinity it'll be demonstrated that we are on this long evolutionary journey back to God and they will prove once and for all the fact of reincarnation. And once this happens, once people learn who they are, once Maitreya and these masters teach us about this, it's going to obliterate from our consciousness this fear of death that we all have. If he's
2: here now, why aren't we aware of it? And
0: what is he here for? we're not aware of it because he hasn't come out into the public arena yet and he is but that doesn't mean that he hasn't been working from behind the scenes he's been stimulating the process of change in the world we've seen dramatic political economic changes in the world and social changes happening over the last twenty years or so Mm -hmm. we're waiting for a time when he's invited to come out before humanity by the world's media one of the Precursors of that happening is he has said that there'll be a changes, certain changes in the world, economic changes, mm-hmm. which will call forth his wisdom, that of the masters, to show us how to to correct the problems that our current economic and political systems have created in the world. And once that happens, once this economic change comes about, uh, um, Benjamin Krim has said a great economic collapse will happen, that this will send up a cry from humanity for help. And at that time, he will be invited to come on the world's television and radio and speak to humanity and basically advise us what we need to do to save ourselves.
2: Sounds like we're talking about the stock market.
0: In a way we are because the stock market is really probably symbolic of the economic climate in which we live. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of people that aren't involved in the stock market that will experience this economic crash in a way that um, people that are involved in the stock market will experience it as well.
2: Now, he is coming as the world teacher, you said, Mm. to help humanity. It won't be the end of the world then?
0: It's not the end of the world at all. It's the beginning of a real golden age for humanity. Okay, wonderful. and and when he comes on TV, how will we know that it's him? We will be alerted to it before the, the time when He comes out into the open. okay. Um, and there will be, there'll be a press conference, and there will also be what will come to be known as the Day of Declaration, when He will appear on television. But He won't speak. But yet, He will talk to humanity for 20 or 30 minutes. But even though He won't speak, we will hear His thoughts in our minds. You and I will hear Him in English people in France will hear him in French, whatever language people might be speaking around the world, that's the language they'll hear him in. He will, it'll be telepathy in a way because he will be overshadowing the minds of all humanity and he will be telling us who he is, who we are and why he's here. It'll be a wonderful day for humanity and his energy, his love will flow out through the hearts of all humanity. It will be as if he embraces all of humanity all at once. It'll be in Christian history, there's the day of Pentecost it talks about in the Bible. It'll be really a repeat, only this time on a worldwide scale of the happenings of Pentecost. On that day, hundreds of thousands of miracles, healings will take place, physical healings, as if the first thing about telepathically overshadowing humanity wouldn't be enough. Right. People will be healed of these ailments and diseases that they have had. So if you're paying attention uh-huh. at all, it shouldn't be hard to miss. It shouldn't be hard to miss if you're watching TV or the newspaper and because we'll know that this person's in the world ahead of time mm-hmm. and we will know ahead of time when this event's going to And then his place. teaching will begin, is that? His teaching will begin. He will be with us for the next 2,000 years. He will not leave. And as we come back into incarnation over and over again over the next 2,000 years, okay. we will see Him at the center of our planetary life, teaching, guiding, consoling, helping humanity. He and also His group, the, the the Masters of Wisdom, will be here. So
2: rebirth shows up once again. As we come back, we will see Him and His, and his teachers here and we will see a change in humanity i guess and in the world huh a positive change yeah. which we need very exciting we need yeah. you know it's really fascinating to to hear a an ordained minister's <laughs> point of view you know who is also familiar yeah. with the angel's wisdom i mean you're a, you're a very unusual you know mm. man your background is very unusual and very varied and it's it's really
0: wonderful to be able to talk to you about this well thank you it's the only thing it It makes sense of all the Christian teachings. It brings it all together for me. There's so much in the way I was brought up that didn't make sense. But when Mm -hmm. I found out about reincarnation and eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and rebirth, it brought the whole thing together for me. Well, Thank you very
2: much, McNair. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for being here. I appreciate it. And thank you for being with us.
1: Well, I hope that gave all of you something to ponder upon. I know it did me. And I wanted to touch upon, speaking of myself, personal experience I had that sort of skirted the issue. I can't say that it was a true near-death experience after you heard the descriptions by McNair Ezzard. But I was in the hospital at the age of 39 and they had to put me in an induced coma for 10 days. And I remember a lot of what happened during that. And when I finally came out of it, after I decided, made a conscious decision during the coma that I wanted to come back, three things occurred to me, three lines. Of course, much more, but I could sum it up in these three lines which are none of us are alone. If you think you are, you're delusional. (laughs) Number two, you and I and everyone, we are all loved beyond our capacity to comprehend it. And number three, at the risk of sounding like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're all more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Not the deepest statements, but that was pretty deep for me. And at the time, I found it meaningful. And perhaps you will too. Now, there are a lot of questions that the audience had that couldn't be answered because they're watching a video, as are you now, of myself. So I've anticipated a few. And then I've gone into Benjamin Krem's book, the Great Approach, where he has a whole little chapter on the subject, mostly composed of Q&A, some really interesting questions that didn't, didn't occur to me either. So I will read those to you. But what I wanted to start with was a question I got from Jiddu Krishnamurti when he said, what's the sense of learning all this when at the end of it, I'm going to die? Well, I guess the answer would be, from what I can judge, from what I've read from the Aegis Wisdom teaching, and from what he himself, Krishnamurti has said, the sense of it is, the reason for it is, you are the collective, you are humanity. And thus on some level, what you've learned is imparted to everyone. And because you take it with you, and you're coming back anyways. So what you've learned, The knowledge that you've accrued is not wasted. And a second question, where does this notion of life after death and Christianity's teaching intersect? In Buddhism, the region that human souls go to after death is called the bardo, which is the rough equivalent of The Christian concept of heaven, the soul hangs out there in bliss. Everything is wonderful. You can have whatever you want. You can create it at will. And you stay there until your number comes up again and you reincarnate. Of course, that doesn't go on endlessly. We'll talk more about that a little bit. And another question, how is suffering the reason why some find incarnation unpalatable addressed in the rebirth cycle. Well, most of the suffering is the result of past or current misdeeds. But it doesn't explain hunger and starvation, though, which Ben will answer more eloquently than I in his chapter, which I'll read to you. As he said, no one comes into, an, into incarnation to starve. And this planet has an approximately or more food surplus. So no one should be going hungry. The US has the so-called strategic reserve. We've got mountains hollowed out where there is all kinds of goods stored, stories high, including food, some of which is being eaten by rodents this time. They think they're saving it in the event of a catastrophic nuclear war. Which would probably only last a couple of weeks and everyone would die, so there's no need there would be no need for a strategic reserve. But think of all the lives that could be transformed if this food was shared with them. And there probably is enough stores in the world, enough storehouses of food, that is, to end the hunger of all human beings on the planet. And it would take only a short while. I think Ben had mentioned that probably with a little tip-off from the master of wisdom that he created a moment-to-moment telepathic link with. I think he had said that it would only take about two, maybe three years tops, perhaps less, to end all of world hunger permanently. So why is this happening when no one should be starving? Well, we call it the sin of separation. Where men don't see themselves connected to their fellow man Don't see themselves as a part of one another and a part of the planet of God if you will of the universe its ignorance greed complacency and callousness in Maitreya has caused or has called rather this issue this crisis this world calamity, he has called it a blasphemy in our midst. And another question I anticipated was, well, just how long is this gonna go on anyway? I mean, lifetime after lifetime. Well, that depends on you. While it's taken thousands of lifetimes to get to the point where you are now, and congratulations on that, we now, based on our point of evolution, we have several more, or perhaps dozens more, lifetimes before we reach the fifth initiation, when we are also a master of wisdom and free from the pull of matter and free from the earth. And we reach perfection as far as the earth school is concerned, but of course, that attainment goes on into infinity. And when that perfection occurs at the fifth fifth initiation, of course, we're free of the cycle of death and rebirth. But we can speed up that day through service to the world, meditation, and specifically transmission meditation, which is particularly potent, right relations, harmlessness, and I should say, harmlessness and right relations in thought, Word and deed with all that you meet. That's what will speed up your evolution. You can get through those initiations faster and on to a wonderful new world in the kingdom of souls as a master of wisdom and beyond. And going back to the issue of death and rebirth, crossing over, reincarnation, and so forth. I found it interesting that Benjamin Krem had stated that the day is coming when mankind will create machines with which we will be able to communicate with those who have crossed over. First, it will be visual, and later, it will also be auditory. We'll be able to speak with them. Imagine that. Now, before we go any further, let me just remind you to follow us on Facebook at, at hashtag Planetary Makeover and at the website, www.planetarymakeover.org. Part of the reason I'm mentioning that now is because if you have questions, you can put them there to us and we can answer them. And also on the website, planetarymakeover.org, there are buttons to click for live shows and archives on demand. And as you heard me mention, another way to speed up your evolution is through the practice of transmission meditation. It's a sort of stepping down of the great cosmic energies that are streaming into the planet from extraplanetary and cosmic sources. The masters are the scientific custodians of these energies, but they step them down for us so that you, like a transformer, can step down the energies coming in from the the wires outside your house that are carrying the energy at a level, at a voltage that is so high it would blow out all your fuses if it were to come in at that level. But you, of course, in this case and in that, you're acting as a transformer, stepping down the energy so they can be absorbed by humanity and by the lower kingdoms. And this energy is helping push all of evolution forward, all the kingdoms mineral, plant, animal, and most of all, human. As I think it has been put poetically, I recall this because I don't think I wrote this, it sort of adds to the pool of spiritual waters from which all of creation drinks. I think that may be from Benjamin Krem's book, Transmission Meditation which is also available at share-ecart.com, which I'll mention again before we go. Again, that's share-ecart.com. And if you're wondering how you can get involved, well, you can go to the website for Transmission Meditation, transmissionmeditation.org, and there you can learn about the process and where you can find other groups, and there's no, training no obligation and no funding no money involved It is free of charge so you may want to examine closely anyone who's teaching meditation and charging you for it and compare and contrast try it yourself try that meditation and then try this and see which one is more powerful Now, I had said that there's some fascinating questions and answers in Ben's book, and that's what I'm going to read to you now, just a few, because we don't have much time left. And the book is The Great Approach, which you can also find at share-eatcart.com. I would highly recommend this book. He has a whole chapter devoted to the subject, which begins with the soul and incarnation and this helps underline some of what i said earlier and here the question will come first and then the answer so here's the question don't human souls incarnate in bodies which are subject to poverty and disease by choice in order to grow answer no soul comes into this world to starve it is against the law of life not even a worm is born to starve if you were born in africa parts of india south america china you may starve if you are born in america or the uk you might be hungry but you are probably not starving maitreya has said that the only reason people starve is that they have the misfortune to be born in one part of the world rather than another no one incarnates deliberately to starve if you starve intentionally you do it as a spiritual exercise or ritual. Jesus is said to have fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Fasting has long been known to have beneficial effects on the body and therefore on the emotional and mental aspects as well. Fasting has long been known to have these benefits. That is very different from a life in which you are born into total degradation and misery, in which there is no food or work, in which you have to walk perhaps 12 miles for water or firewood. This is the daily grind of millions of people in sub-Saharan Africa today. But they did not come into incarnation to experience it. We come into incarnation in groups. These groups have probably been incarnating in that area for centuries. They are the inheritors of a colonization process which has now ended. Much of Sub-Saharan Africa in that colonial era, era belonged to the British. And when we left them defend for themselves, we did not educate or train them in the ways and means of doing so. Nor did the French, Belgians, or, or Portuguese. And these people are left with the results of colonization. In some cases, has been acceptable In others, it has been a miserable tragedy, especially in those parts which are not naturally well endowed. This is the reality, and no amount of theorizing that they chose it explains it away. They did not choose it. They find it when they are drawn into incarnation by the magnet of the group of which they are a part. We all incarnate in groups in any part of the world. You have probably been your mother's father or mother, sister or brother many times over perhaps you were in sub-saharan africa last time think about that well with that we are going to wrap up because we are in fact out of time and i encourage you to check out ben's book this one the great approach and many others which you can find at share dash .com and also to visit transmissionmeditation.org and I'll leave you with a quote from Maitreya, one of my favorites, which he said, may the fear of death die in the hearts of all men. May we thus transcend that and thus begin to truly embrace that great adventure we call life. Thank you. Visit us on Facebook, at hashtag Planetary Makeover. This show has been a production of PlanetaryMakeover.org. At our website, we have a link to our bi-weekly live show at 5 p.m. Mondays, Western time, and 8 p.m. Eastern time. At our website, we also have a link to our archives and a selection of our shows. For more background info, visit www.shareinternational-west.org That's shareinternational-west.org For related books and DVDs and CDs by Benjamin Krem, On the Emergence of Maitreya, the World Teacher, please go to share-ecart.com.